Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Are you in, Are fashion? You in fashion? fashion? What is fashion? To me, fashion is um, just what I think is nice. Have you ever cared about it? Oh, yeah, when I was young, my 20s and 30s. If it's like a book, it's all like the same colour, like the same thing every day, then you highlight something and it like stands out. Hence the quirky socks? I guess, yeah. <laughs> I like your poncho. <laughs> my dad got me one in Guadalajara. Milan, Dolce & Gabbana, fall. My heels are killing me. Hello, I'm Sonia Sly. And if you've never heard this podcast before, well, Heels is a look behind the scenes of the fashion industry at the designers, the buyers, the influencers, the market, the big brands and the creatives who reside within it to keep it ticking around the clock. Because whether you buy into the idea of fashion or not, we all have to wear clothes. In this week's episode... What is it like to work for a publication in one of the biggest fashion capitals in the world? Magazines are my passion ever since I was a kid. And I can't imagine a more amazing place to start my career than Mead Publications. I know most of your magazines inside out. I try to devour as much as I can. Clearly. Is it filled with self-obsessed, cliched characters that feature in the likes of TV show Ugly Betty? Well, we're about to find out. Meet New York-based Kiwi Olivia Fleming, who is the senior features editor for Bazaar.com. I'm fully immersed in digital, and the women that I work with at Bazaar.com are so amazing. I constantly pinch myself. There's probably 12 of us now, and everyone is just so supportive and so talented and smart and yeah, I'm very lucky. How long have you been, I guess, in that role and, like, working in New York? I've been working in New York technically since 2008 with a few breaks in between, but I've been at Bazaar now for two years. Why New York? I know, I know. Silly question, right? Ah, uh, why not? Oh, yeah, that, that was going to be my next question. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> a dream many young people have I mean not all but it was, certainly was a dream of mine when I had graduated college everyone was going to London and I didn't want to follow the pack I wanted to do something a little bit different and even though I say it was the worst financial decision I ever made because it's very expensive um, immigration wise to be able to stay here I yeah I stuck it out and here I am 10 years later. I mean, did you have to do the hard yards and, you know, just kind of work crappy jobs in order to you know, eventually find your way in the fashion industry? I first arrived here in 2008. Um, I had been working at Fashion Quarterly and a job in New York's ACP office. And then it was called ACP, now it's Bauer. But um, they had a New York office and I went to work there for about 10 months and then the recession hit and they closed down the New York office. Um, then I moved back to Sydney. I got a wonderful job at the Australian Women's Weekly as the fashion market editor, working with the most incredible women 
Uh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. But I was kind of biding my time to be able to move back to New York a little bit, waiting for the right moment. And that moment came in 2011 with an internship for a fashion magazine. When you move countries, you kind of have to start from the bottom again. But I saw a very ugly side to the fashion industry that I had no interest in taking part of. And what is that, um, the ugly side? What is it? Can you explain? Just, just. Everything you can imagine from the devil wears Prada. And then Cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact... You're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this In Australia and New Zealand, I feel like people have fun with fashion. They don't take it too seriously. It's creative. It's collaborative. And that was what I was brought up on. And I moved to New York, and it was a lot more cutthroat. There were clear hierarchical divisions in terms of treatment of interns. And I was never treated badly, but I witnessed some really horrible things and decided two weeks later that I never wanted to work in fashion as a stylist in New York. After I had seen that, I got a degree in journalism at AUT and started writing. Because I was working at the ACP New York office, I had wonderful people around me and wasn't really dealing with fashion specifically. It was more doing research and writing. And then I had such a wonderful time in Australia and then moved back to New York. And that was really my first taste of, and I can't speak to any other industries, but specifically magazines and styling. Um, I got a glimpse of what it was like and it was like every stereotype you've ever heard and I just didn't really want any part of it. So I had to make a really tough decision and quit a very a job that as they say a million girls would kill for and decided to kind of stay true to myself and but of course all of that is well behind Olivia now and she's fully entrenched in the fashion industry and a regular attendee at New York Fashion Week but globally fashion weeks are changing and media has evolved as well so what does she see unfolding I was actually talking about this with our editor today wondering whether Fashion Week will be around for much longer. Um, Most of the biggest New York names didn't show in New York Fashion Week. It's becoming less and less relevant as the internet has enabled people to access images straight away. You know, no one really cares anymore. I think it's really expensive. Designers and brands have their own Instagram accounts, which gives them free marketing the excitement around Fashion Week seems to have gone. So that sort of excitement or energy is just not there? There's certainly are street style photographers outside, most of whom are employed by magazines because they're going to be printing those street style photographs. I think that there's just an air of why do we do this? When customers see a garment or, a, or an item of clothing that they love, they want to be able to have it now. It seems very backward for how we are all doing business now and how we're digesting content. When you see looks coming out onto the runway, 
you don't get excited or, I mean, are there times when you're leaping out of your chair almost because you're like, wow, that's amazing? Of course, but I, we can also have that reaction elsewhere. Seeing clothes close up is always wonderful. You can see how they drape. You can see how they move. You can see what they look like from every angle, not just, you know, from a runway photo straight on. And that's wonderful, but we have press appointments. Editors don't need to sit front row at a fashion show. We can go into showrooms and touch the clothes and have a more personal experience with them in order to write about them or recommend them to our readers. In terms of the spectacle of Fashion Week, I see it or feel that it is subsiding because the people that wanted to get into fashion shows to be able to see the clothes can access those images immediately and so there's not that desire as well as covering fashion olivia also gets a chance to cover a breadth of lifestyle stories which means interviewing celebrities investigating important issues in the industry but recently she even covered her search for the perfect wedding dress a story that moves from dreamy and wide-eyed to hair pulling frustration I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I'm very glad that I'm married and I never have to plan another wedding or touch wood. Planning a wedding, you become an expert in something that you'll never have to do again, which is a very odd feeling. Olivia tried on an array of dresses, 80 of them in fact. But hey, when in New York, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. I'm inundated with choice, which I think is half the problem. And you also kind of go through a reckoning of who you are. I know it sounds a little silly, but you're kind of presenting yourself in one dress. You have to find one garment that says everything about you. You get carried away with the whole thing, much like I did, until you reach your breaking point and you say, I don't care anymore, I'll just wear a sack. But then you go back and, no, I want to look pretty and... It's a never-ending cycle. I mean, do you think that we're being sold an ideal of something that sort of doesn't exist, the dream dress, the dream wedding, having this perfect life, and and is there more pressure on women to fulfil this ideal that might come from, you know, like online or magazines or whatever? For sure. Pinterest ruined weddings. (laughs) I think when you're a bride you're constantly looking at Pinterest seeing what other brides are doing you're constantly comparing yourself wanting your your wedding to look as beautiful or more beautiful um, you're seeing what other brides are pulling off and no one's really talking about the cost I mean one example is the dress that brides they hang on like a door frame and the photographer takes a picture of it it looks like a ghost and that has become the pinnacle of wedding pictures like every bride has to have that photo and I really don't understand why. As a writer for you was it kind of about dispelling a few myths or kind of saying to a woman look just do what you want to do don't worry about all of that other you know extraneous stuff. For sure I mean my photographer who I had is also in the same boat he gets a lot of shot lists from brides you know, we need this specific photograph and this specific lighting and this specific... And also in America, they do this thing called first look where the bride and groom see each other before the bride walks down the aisle for a photo op, like the first time that they'll see each other. Being in America is interesting. Everything's very bigger and better. And- so in terms of the fashion industry, 
I guess the topic of like sexual harassment and Me Too has come full force and it's also hit the fashion industry. So you recently covered a story. Is this something that's kind of always been underneath the surface? We've all known how models are treated. It's just that everyone turned a blind eye and it's not just models. Every woman who is in the fashion industry, whether it's factory workers in India or models in New York, it's every tier of the fashion industry, women have been treated or mistreated. Only now we're reckoning with that. I mean, is there anything that the industry is doing to protect, you know, young, I guess, vulnerable girls yeah. a lot of the time? Uh, there are, you know, laws being passed, mostly thanks to the Model Alliance, who is the biggest champion of fashion industry workers' rights, and that includes models. Magazines, publishers, Publishing houses, designers, they're all standing up and taking stock of what they've been complicit in and we're all committed to trying harder. Now, speaking of business and the way the industry runs, I mean, now you're actually running your own business and a jewellery brand. Why jewellery and not, like, fashion? Not Why not garments? I've always loved jewellery. I just had a very specific idea of a mood ring that I really wanted and I couldn't find it anywhere and someone said to me, well, why don't you go and make it? So she did. She learned about the process and found a metalsmith who could bring her designs to life and while she no longer makes those mood rings, you know, the kind that change colour when you wear them, her focus is about fine pieces under the label Olivia Kane Jewellery. Yeah, Kane's my middle name. And what's more, in this competitive marketplace, she has a very definitive point of difference. All of her pieces are made from conflict-free, recycled, 14-carat gold. I don't want to contribute to any more mining in the world, so all of the gold that we use is recycled gold, which is just the most sustainable way you can make jewellery. Very high-quality recycled gold. Is it melted down existing pieces? Yeah, so there's in New York there's... Uh, fabulous jewellery district where there are the most incredible artisans and stone setters and casters all hidden away in random buildings. It's really magical actually. My jewellery is hand cast uh, in the jewellery district using recycled gold. Wow. So quite a process, is it then? There are a couple of steps, (laughs) but I'm an old hat at it now. It's, you know, the designs are hand-moulded and then they get hand-casted and then the stones are hand-set and then they're shipped off to their rightful owner. So I take it, though, that you, you know, you sketch out the designs or do you work with another jewellery designer or someone who, you know, can draw? How does that work? I have a metalsmith. She's amazing, who does all the finicky parts for me. She sets my stones. She creates my moulds. She's one of the rare people in my life who can transfer exactly what I'm thinking in my head to reality. I'm not the best drawer in the world by any means, but she really understands my aesthetic. And Now, if you're considering starting your own business, it always pays to have the right contacts. You can't underestimate them, especially in this day and age where there are numerous products entering the marketplace competing for space. When I first started thinking about launching a mood ring brand, I literally Googled how to start a jewellery business. The thing that I kept finding over and over again was people asking, how do I get pressed? How do I get into retailers? 
Richmond, those were two things that I had access to. I had a good network of writers already who would be able to give me press. And I had a couple of friends who had stores across the country. And so I thought, well, if that's the two things that people come up against the most, then why not give it a go? Is the business evolving as you had hoped? I mean, have you got massive goals for where you want to take it? I do. I just don't have time. I'm Right now I have time to run the business, but I don't have time to grow the business. I just don't have the bandwidth to sit down and and turn it into the empire that I would like it to be. Um, so you'd like to be doing it full-time? I think about this often. I would like to have the opportunity to do it full-time if I ever wanted to choose that, if I ever wanted to step away from magazines or the publishing industry. Um, it would be nice to have the ability to do it full-time. Right now... Um, yeah, it's, I spend every morning and evening working on jewellery and it's really hard. I don't really have a lot of spare time. And obviously your work in um, publishing is something that you love as well. Yeah, I don't think I could ever not write stories. I don't know if you know who Tina Brown is, but she was the editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. She was She resuscitated it in the 80s and she has this term that I love called observation greed and I think that I would go crazy if I didn't have somewhere to put all the stories that I want to be able to tell. I think of you as someone who is seizing opportunities, definitely up for a challenge and you're someone who's, I guess, you know, maybe typifies like the the modern multitasking working woman who kind of wants and potentially can have everything. I mean... Is that how you feel and how are you balancing those kind of multiple roles and kind of identities? That's a tricky a tricky thing to go after, having everything. I think for women, especially in America, it's very hard now that I'm married. I'm starting to think about having a family and what that would look like. And in America, they don't have maternity leave. They have six weeks hospitalization leave. Um, so if you adopt a child, you don't get to you don't get any time off work. Like if you go into hospital, you get to take six weeks off. doesn't matter what it's for because New Zealand is just such an amazing place to raise a family. Seriously, you'd consider moving back home and uh, away from, I guess, everything that you've has become part of your world? I mean, we're talking New York. You are, to probably a lot of us sitting back yeah. home, living the dream. The grass is always greener. I, I've been here long enough now to understand why I don't like New York City. I crave New Zealand beaches, New Zealand fresh air, the twoies. I call my brother and hear them singing and I just, my heart breaks a little bit. All my family is there. I have one piece of me here and one piece of me in New Zealand and it's hard to figure out where you want to be and where home is. That was Olivia Fleming, Senior Digital Editor for Bazaar.com. And I'm your host, Sonia Sly, and this episode was engineered by William Saunders. We'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast, either on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, Podbeam, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.